Hey, 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 how you doing today? Welcome back to the WHLC podcast, also known as the Women's Healthy Living Club podcast. I'm your host, Darian, and I'm so glad you're listening again. This is our 11th podcast. I can't believe that I've recorded 11 podcasts. Insane in the membrane. This might not be number 11, but... um. I've recorded a lot of podcasts. It's exciting. I didn't know how long I would last doing this thing, but by the way, I'm not recording through my headphones today. I'm recording straight to the cell phone because I left my headphones in the office at my job and I'm on lunch and I don't feel like going back. So here we are sharing space again. Today's topic is kind of deep. I'm going to warn you right now. It's a little on the deep end because of a lot of things. Today I want to talk about food and relationship to food. So I was having, I have a lot of ideas about food. And in the fitness industry, healthy lifestyle industry, all that business, food is like seriously a centerpiece. It is all we talk about all the time. And sometimes I get fucking sick of it. Like I'm tired of talking about why vegetables are good for you. I'm tired of uh, looking up health benefits of oranges. Like, (laughs) if you don't know that oranges are good for you, come on. Come on. You should know that oranges are good for you, right? But if it was about what we knew, everyone would be doing it, right? It's not about that. It's less about what you know, and it's more about what you do. Really. But what you know has influence over what you do because if you don't know anything about anything then you don't know what to do or why to do it right anyway food and relationships so I had this idea because I mean you guys know my stories thus far a little bit about being able to what I call I'll call it living in the Goldilocks zone for now Goldilocks zone is the zone that It's perfect for life growth. It's where the earth rests in conjunction to the sun. Um, I'm going to call it the Goldilocks zone. For the the two months that I was able to eat, like, what I would consider clean as fuck. Just didn't even skip a beat. Didn't even bat an eye at any type of, like, sugary treat or whatever. Was totally off of caffeine for a good chunk of time there. And it was a good time, man. It was so good. So the Goldilocks zone. I was there for a little bit. And then... I self-sabotaged. Dun, dun, da. Everybody does it, though. It's like a natural human thing to sabotage yourself. I don't know why it's fucked up, but it, it's common. Very common. And so I recently revisited my holistic lifestyle course because something about the way Mr. Paul Check words things, the way he um, just puts puts it down is just like you can't not do it like you feel so stupid for not doing it for not you know for indulging in food that isn't real and that isn't going to nourish your body and that it ultimately is basically just plastic like it's just I listen to that guy talk and I'm like damn it Paul this nigga is right (laughs) like for real and so I'm so grateful to his courses I revisit them all the time because um you know listening to it again and reading about it and immersing myself in that information helps me to implement it especially if I'm like if I haven't touched on it in a while just surrounding myself with it will help me 
remember like, oh, right, we were doing it because of this, right, right. Going back to revisiting your why, right? Why are we talking about food and relationship? If I'm tired of talking about food in the health and fitness industry, why talk about it now, right? Because it is so important. So I was talking to Tom yesterday about this idea of the way we hold ourselves, our habits, what we do, all of that being analogous to relationship, to being. So I was telling him, you know, I have this. I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys because I don't give a fuck. But I have lived with a binge eating disorder for as long as I can remember, to be totally clear and honest with you. And no, I'm not like going and vomiting it later. I don't have the guts to do that. Like, I tried that a couple times in high school. I was like, fuck this. This is terrible. Who does this? How do they do it forever? Like, people do do that forever. Bulimia, it's real. It's crazy. I couldn't do that. And I, I definitely had disordered eating in high school and have had disordered eating since then. It's only gotten better, though, with my exposure and self-education in all the different nutrition and lifestyle and fitness type of endeavors I've taken. But... Um, I just, I took a minute to really think about like, why do I keep doing this? Like, what is it doing for me? What do I think it's going to do for me? What is triggering this need to like buy a poop ton of sugar and then sit down and eat it all in one sitting? Like, why? What is this? What do I think I'm gaining from this? Right? Because I've got to be thinking I'm gaining something if I, if it's motivating me to do it. Not to mention, I mean, there are other motivation factors such as like hyper palatable food, um, food that's like totally programmed to get you addicted to it, kind of, kind of influential, you know, but there's also some type of psychological thing. Cause I, I know like that the food is not good for me. I know that. And I'm a health professional. So you think I would be like, I know this. So therefore I don't indulge in the, no, there's some weird emotional, psychological type of thing going on. And that's usually at the basis of all of our habits some weird psychological emotional thing going on so like I said in the last podcast or one of the podcasts about coffee and habits take a look at that man look deeply at it like what the hell is going why am I doing this why what's it doing for me is it helping or is it hurting basic questions you can ask yourself all day long about what you're doing so you could you can cause damage with those questions too. Like don't get over analytical about it, otherwise you'll drive yourself clinically insane and nobody wants to do that. Back to binging. I realized upon reflection that I grew up watching my mom binge. Love you, mom. I know you're listening to this podcast. Please don't take this as me hating on your habits, but because I don't know what I don't know what she's doing now, but I just remember my mom one, she just was a person that held a lot of stress. And there are just people like that. They're just easily stressed out. They're very sensitive. Every little thing gets to them. And that was kind of how my mom, how I saw her back then when I was growing up. And I would watch, you know, what, what she'd do to cope was bring home a fucking pumpkin pie or something, you know, like some kind of big sugary treat. And her and I together would sit in front of the TV and watch her shows and eat the, eat the sugar, eat the sweet stuff. And that's kind of, you know, I love, I love my mom. She's such an affectionate, sweet person. Um, she taught me early on how to accept people. And before all this social justice, political correctness bullshit was on the table, like she would tell me, look, cause I'd be like, mom, 
look at that. Like, cause I remember I saw a lady who had probably vitiligo, like she had little spots on her face and I was mixed. So I knew that there was a mixed race. And then I also, I would call, I never called people black. I called them brown cause I learned my colors from the M&Ms. What? And there ain't no black M&Ms. So I called them brown cause they were brown, like the color M&M. And, uh, and I knew I came from a brown person and a white person. And that's just, I should have called them cream. That would have been more accurate. But um, this lady had like speckles of both. She had like white people skin on part of her face and then on her hand. And then the rest of her was like black people skin. And I was like, mom, that's weird. And she'd look at me. And every time I said that about someone's whatever, she'd be like, Darian, it's not weird. It's different. It's just different. That's it. And everybody's different. And I so respect her for that. But I remember watching her. That's how she dealt with stress, you know. And I I love my mom, but there are a lot of things where I would be like, I don't know how I'm your daughter. Like, we just don't. We are totally different. Just totally different. It, I never had a relationship with my mom where it was like, oh, my God, we love to do these things together. We love them. We both love this stuff. Like, I just, I had different interests, like, and I liked people and she didn't really like hanging out with people. And I just felt like we were opposite a lot of the time. But in this one moment with the pumpkin pie or the spice cake or the cheese Danish or whatever the fuck it was, I was connecting with my mom. We were connecting over binge eating. Is it the greatest connection or thing to connect over? Probably not. No. But I realized, I think that when I feel disconnected or when I feel like I've, I would like to shut down from life and just like not have to deal with anything, that's what I go to because I, I coordinate that binge eating on sugar at night in front of a screen to love and to connection. I think, oh, this will get me the love. This will get me what the feeling I'm wanting, this connecting feeling. And it's such a sad thing because... It doesn't. It doesn't get me anywhere close to that. In fact, if anything, it pushes me farther away from connection. Interesting stuff. I really have delved deep into this and I don't, I have no shame in sharing. Like I don't, I'm sure other people struggle with all kinds of different types of disordered eating and just haven't taken a, a minute to look into it or are afraid to look into it and avoid looking into it. I meet people sometimes who are like, you know, I, because I talk about food and stuff a lot, they'll, they'll kind of be like, well, I just like, I do better if I just don't even think about it. I just don't want to think about it at all. I'm like, well, how do you actually know you're doing better then if you're not even looking at it? Honestly, you know, I get maybe not becoming obsessive over it. That's something you don't want to do. Cause that's a different kind of disordered eating, but if it's going to help you get out of the dark, I don't see a problem in looking at that stuff, honestly. So I did look at it. Back to my original point, though, I was talking to Tom about food and relationship because I was preparing for this podcast. And I thought, you know, when we go to change our dietary lifestyles, our fitness lifestyles, our however we keep our house, our cleaning habits, whatever kind of fucking habit you're trying to change... It's not just about moving from where you are straight to the, the, the ideal. Like, you know, I want to eat 100% whole food, right? And maybe I'm riding, today I actually did really good. I'm on whole food so far all day. I haven't had a, 
an ounce of processed food. So I'm riding the hundred. That's great. But if you accumulate my overall performance, it's probably more like 80, 20, which is fine. But I can't sit here and be like, okay, right now I'm going to be a hundred percent whole food. Even though I've been 80, 20 all my life, I'm just going to do it right now. It, it just like, it doesn't work like that. Imagine if you had a friend that you, you loved, you loved your friend. They were nice. They were pretty good to you. You visited them every time you wanted to feel comfort or connection. But then you knew that friend is actually kind of harming you in a low key level by keeping you in your comfort zone, right? You can't just walk up in there and be like, it's over. I'm done. We're done. I'm going to be over this. I'm over it. I'm done. Your friends are going to be like, what the fuck? Like, okay. You know, that's just not how you do it. And I was thinking about that kind of situation and imagining like my, my little binge problem, which I'm not going to call it my problem. That's another thing about food and relationships or relationships in general. Our language we put around it is so influential on the power it has over us. If I call it my binge problem, then I've, I've decided to own it. I've decided to let it own me. And therefore it has power because it's mine. And anything you own also possesses you right back. You own a house, that house owns you. And any homeowner knows that. You buy a house, that house owns you. You have to go work for it. You have to go, you have to use the money you worked hard for to, to take care of it, to remodel it, to do whatever the frick you want to do to it. It owns you at some point, right? Same thing with your, when you're talking about your issues that you may have when you, when you call them yours and you coddle them and you bring them close and you're like, these are my problems. Mm." Then they're, they're going to stay with you for a long time. So I'm trying to change my language on that too. It's not my binge problem. It's a binge problem that I've been dealing with for a little bit. Okay. I was thinking about that though, as if it were a boyfriend, my binge boyfriend. And I know like, damn, ice cream at nighttime in front of the Netflix is so good. Like, I love that feeling. I love looking forward to like, oh, I'm going to have something sweet and be able to sit on my ass and eat it all. (laughs) I love looking forward to that. There, There is love in that relationship, but ultimately it's harming me. Ultimately, it's setting me back from achieving my goals. Ultimately, it's against the things that I care about and value, including my health. So... I thought, you know, I've tried and tried again to just like break up. I'm going to break up with that binge boyfriend. I'm over him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> like, you know, but it doesn't, it never worked. It doesn't work. And you know why it didn't work? Because you can't just cut it cold turkey. Some people can. Some people really can. But then when they do cut it cold turkey, my next question is how long do they abstain? That's the big question because sure, you can cut cold turkey and just totally flip your whole script over for a little bit, but eventually something's going to trigger you back to wanting to go back to that previous relationship, right? This is the key though. Here's the little trick. If you have something in place that, that can replace the binge boyfriend or whatever your particular eating relationship is or food relationship if you have something to replace that that negative relationship when you're triggered to go back to it you can go back to the replacement and hopefully you can find a replacement that meets the similar 
needs that the previous relationship met, but also does so in a way without causing as much or if any harm to yourself. So that's my goal this week is to replace my my binge boyfriend. Um, I'm trying to replace it with something else, like just totally switch up the routine because I realize like, yeah, resting is good and it's good to sit or, you know, sit and relax from time to time. There's no shame in watching Netflix, you know, like it's not the end of the world. But then I think how much time am I actually spending sitting and watching Netflix when I could be doing X, Y, Z, when I could be making art, when I could be reading, when I could be writing music and playing guitar, like there's so much more that I care about and that fills me on a level outside of food that I could be indulging in instead of processed food, right? So some things to think about. Another thing I wanted to bring up about food and relationships is this very interesting idea that a man, it's actually Tom's um, college biology professor, his name is Tok, and he is an older Asian man who is writing a book about this very topic, food and relationships, and how they evolve over time in the human lifespan. And he has a very interesting perspective on food. And I, I'm not going to give it, you know, say everything that he said because he's writing a book, but you know, that takes a long time. Um, I haven't heard from him in a while either. We were, we went out, we actually went to his home for dinner, which was so cool. And he made us like traditional pho, maybe. I don't know what it was, but it was like, this little boiler pot and you took the raw vegetables and food and you like dipped it in the boiling pot and then it cooked it and then you retrieved it out and it was so cool and he had a sweet cat and just a very nice man and we talked about food and how different and strange and how weird it is it's like such a central part of our life it for people that want to avoid talking about food or avoid discussing what they've eaten and things like that it's like how can you? Food used to be such a central piece of our existence, and it still is, but with convenience, we've been disconnected from it. We used to be there from the very start, from seed to table, is what we're used to as human beings for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And just in the last maybe 100 years, we've gotten this new plague of convenience. That's one reason Tom and I were so passionate about getting our hands dirty and volunteering on farms for, I, we, this is the first summer we haven't done it and it feels weird. I'm like, I feel like I need to be outside, half naked, no shoes and dirty. Like what is going on? Instead, I'm like in this clean black uniform, wiping butts, helping people, which is fine. But we made it a huge thing to, to really understand like what it takes to make food what it actually takes. And it takes a lot more than what we actually pay for. So that's something that has kind of been lost in American culture. We used to be a culture of farmers. And even before that, we were a culture of, we were, we were permaculture people. We would kind of sprinkle seeds around. We would linger and then we leave and then come back the next season and be like, Oh look, the seeds grew. And now we have a whole patch of corn. Hooray. You know, like we used to be integrated with our food we would harvest our food we would know how to care for our food we would know how to cut chop boil cook all those things for our food and they would be we'd be touching them 
through the whole process, touching the plant, touching, touching the seed, the plant, the harvest, all the way into the dinner plate, into your mouth, right? We don't do that anymore. Not as much. And the people that do don't make jack shit for what they do. It's hard work. And it used to be integrated. Now we have like a health and fitness industry. But we used to not have that because health and fitness was integrated in making your own food. You'd have to be bending forward up and down off the ground to harvest. You'd have to be kneeling for long periods of time to plant your seeds. You'd have to be, you'd have to be carrying heavy, heavy things. Like, I don't know, it, it ranges on a farm. It could be anything from dirt to poop to, you know, vermiculite, whatever. But big old tubs of stuff to grow stuff, right? We had our lifting integrated into our, into our lifestyle when we were more involved with our food. So that's something that's on a macro scale. Our relationship to food has is on a thread right now. We barely even interact with our food. And now that it's convenient, what we do is we, you know, we buy it. It's all wrapped in plastic. So we don't even touch it when we buy it. It's weird. Like we don't even get the tactile stem in our fingers of like, oh, this is kale. <laughs> it's like wrapped up in a plastic bag. It doesn't make any sense. We're used to getting our hands all up in the mud. And now we're like too pristine and clean to do that. It's very interesting. Another point that we went over with this guy was super cool. And he was talking about how, I don't know if you're familiar with Erickson's developmental stages, Erickson's eight stages of development, um, or any like psychological human development type stuff where, you know, we go through this progression. We have infant, infant, what was I, I was going to say infantry, like is it infantry, like where you store bullets and stuff? I don't know. We have our infant period, then we have toddler, then we go to like child, then we go to teenager or adolescent, then we have young adult, adult, older adult, and old, old, right? Those are just how we progress. And in those stages, a whole slew of different things happens as we're developing and changing. And people think sometimes, you know, that development stops after high school. And like, once you're an adult, it's like, okay, I'm done developing. I'm finished, over, done, sealed, signed, delivered, right? Nope. The development continues and continues and continues all the way till you die, yo. You just don't stop developing. And in, in it's not all in the same way. It's heavily, more heavily physical in the early stages of infanthood, <laughs> of being a baby and childhood and all that. And then it, I think it becomes a little bit more psychological as you get into older age. And I just, I say that from experience of working with older people all day long. You know, they have, they're going through a lot of different psychological births and changes and developments and while their body is more on the decline. But so this guy had the idea that our food relationships develop in a similar way where depending on what we were given or provided when we were in discomfort as a, as a baby or a child, that that carries through all the way through your lifespan. When you have a moment of feeling uneasy or discomforted, then you go back to those foods that were introduced to you in those times when you were discomforted. And a lot of times today, I see parents all the time, their kid freaking cries and they're like, here, have a cookie. It'll show you here, have a cookie. Hey, just hey, here, eat this. This will be fine. You'll stop crying. And so like we're we're already training our kids to seek sugar when they're discomforted, right? To seek sweet stuff when they're discomforted. And that's definitely setting them up for a whole hell of a lot of problems for their system later. The other thing 
the idea that he had was called, um, he was saying how, you know, you have these different phases in life. And in your adolescence phase, you're kind of eating for aesthetics. You kind of, your motive for diet and what you put in your body is like, well, I want to look good because I want to be an attractive mate. Like we're all flooded and swarming with a fuck ton of hormones. And we're like, oh, overwhelmed by our emotions and changes and all that stuff. And we just want to look good in high school, right? I just want to look good. I want people to think I look good. So what I did in high school was I thought I had a friend who was rather thin or whatever. And I thought, I wonder what she's eating. Cause she looks really good and people like, like think she's cute and pretty and I want to be pretty and cute. So what is she doing? She is a vegetarian. So I was like, I think I'm gonna try being a vegetarian. Had no other motive other than looking good. Didn't care about the animals. Didn't care about fucking pharma, big pharma or whatever. And cows and nothing. I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to look good. Turns out being a vegetarian means eating more than bread and cheese which is all I ate when I was a vegetarian until I met Tom who was doing vegetarianism, right? (laughs) And eating like fruits and vegetables and supplements and stuff. Then there's this period that this guy terms as the chaos phase, the chaos period. It's the time where you have taken on so much responsibility that you don't even have time to think about food because And like here in this phase, it's usually from um, like adulthood. It's the time when you have a family, really. Like you have your first kid or two, you're working full time, you're doing all the things, you're a homeowner, you got all this. Seriously, your responsibility plate is packed to the max. And at this time, convenience is super duper important because of your time constraint. You don't have time to like be thinking about your diet and while you're eating, while your kid's sitting there like covered in poop, you know, like you got to just, you got to go. It's go time. There's no time to be thinking about what you're going to have for breakfast. Your kid's vomiting all over the kitchen. Do you even want breakfast? No. You know, like chaos phase, right? Big difference. So the, then there's another, there's another phase. I don't know when this comes, but it's something that this man named Talk um, coined and it was conscious conscious consumerism maybe or just con conscience conscious eating but this is when you this is the phase that you I don't know you know when it comes it comes for different people he seemed to believe that Tom and I were in this phase I I could probably prove him wrong but where you you think about what you're eating that's it you think about it you think and you you eat intuitively where instead of like you're not on this rigid diet plan, you're not totally, you know, buried in the convenience mindset of just I need I need it now and I need it made and ready. You kind of have this flexibility where you're like, hmm, I'm feeling this way. I had this the last time I felt this way and I felt better. What should I have today? I think I'll have this because of this. It's like it's more strategic, more thoughtful instead of chaotic and convenient or purely based on aesthetics it's more of a feeling you want to you just want to feel good that's your main motive you want to feel better you want to have better thoughts you want to think better about yourself feel better about yourself and the world around you so you choose foods that will help you do that and not sabotage you towards those goals right I don't remember what he called it to be honest we're gonna call it conscious conscience oh my god I can't say that word conscious consuming so 
I'm a big believer in conscious consuming, not only regarding food, but in general. Like, I don't, I usually will not buy something unless I really need it. I don't buy something just because it's pretty or because I want to change it. Sometimes I do. It depends. But most of the time I don't. I really try to avoid that. I think I've had the same wardrobe for quite some time and I just recently decided to go and switch some things out. And by switch some things out I mean like I got rid of three dresses and I bought two. And where did I buy them from? Not Target, not Everlane, not freaking free people. <laughs> I got them at Goodwill, my friend. <laughs> that is my main place of shopping. Because, you know, it's funny to me, I think I talked about this a little bit in some other podcasts, and this is not food related at all. Sorry, not sorry. But it's funny to me, these companies that are like, you know, we're eco-friendly, we take care of the earth, support our water bottle jumpsuits, and we'll give a jumpsuit to someone in Rwanda or whatever. That kind of stuff, like, for real, just gets under my skin. Because my first thought is, first thing, usually those outfits are no cheaper than $50. And that's giving them some slack. I've seen upwards of 80 for a pair of tights. Tights! They're not even, like, protective. They're not even covering your freaking skin. Like, you brush by a tree the wrong way and they're ripped. $80, okay? The other problem I have is that they're going on this green principle, like we're taking care of the earth, we're green. But people forget about the whole like green movement. What does that even mean? Reduce, reuse, and recycle, right? So sure, they are recycling plastic water bottles into clothes, that's cool, but they're charging a fuck ton for them, right? When you could have reused, like why are we skipping that step? Go and reuse some clothes, there's enough clothes in the world there's so much especially in america we have a sick amount of clothing that's just taking up warehouses taking up goodwill just filling them up but no we got to get something new it just cracks me up and then that 80 dollars you could have used that went into recycling these bottles into making them to tights that won't even last you longer than a year you could have taken that 80 dollars and helped somebody in a different way. You could have bought cans of food and hand up food. You know, it's more earthly and more responsible to do with your money than buy a pair of tights is to feed somebody because people can't eat money. You know, they can't eat tights. They can't eat money. All they can eat is food. So to feed somebody, you could have fed $80. You get, you get 10 Subway meals for 10 different people that needed to eat. Just It's just the way, you, I don't know, I just think about things differently maybe, but quick little fashion side note, I just wanted to slide that up in there. Anyway, food and relationships, that's what we're talking about today. It's interesting stuff, you know. Food is such a big part of our, our being, and we need it to survive. We can't just like, I'm done with food, like I don't want to, you could, but then you're, you will die, and your body will start eating itself, and that's no fun. Who wants to eat themselves? Probably don't even taste good. Just kidding. You can't really taste it when you're eating yourself. <laughs> that just means your your muscle mass is consuming itself for fuel. But um, it's just interesting. I mean, there's a lot of 
information out there on food and it can be so overwhelming to be like I don't know should I eat paleo no should I eat keto no should I go high carb low carb low fat high fat should I have nuts are nuts bad for me am I gonna get allergic should I sprout the nuts or should I just roast the nuts or how should it it's just like whoa too many decisions to make when it comes to food oh my gosh like why is it gonna be so complicated it's just food right wrong Our taste is one of the most emotionally tied senses that we have. Taste and smell. They're the the closest in connection to our limbic system. And our limbic system controls our emotions. And so taste, it runs deep. You know, What what we taste and what we eat and our habits in that sense, they run so deep. And everything under the sun influences how and what you eat. Where you, how you grew up, what your mom cooked, what your dad cooked or didn't cook, both of them. Whether you had spicy food, sour food, bitter foods, sweet foods, all of that matters so much in, when it comes to deciding what your diet looks like. It's, it's insane. But since we're talking about such a chaotic and unpredictable and information-heavy topic such as nutrition and food... Let's simplify it a little bit. Let's simplify it. I'm going to tell you what I've been doing and am doing today. And hopefully from now on, <laughs> I'll let you know by the, by the next podcast. But I'm pretty much over it. I'm over all the bullshit, really. I'm over the fucking bonbons and donuts at work. Like, the, they taste the same every time. They don't really do that much for me. I, don't, I actually feel tired after eating them. They're sweet. They're a small little escape from, from whatever situation I think is too painful to be in. That's another thing. Food is like, I think I talked about this in another podcast, but food is a huge coping skill for a lot of people. And especially at their jobs, we, people, you know, they want to be nice. So they bring in a thing of donuts and they're like, look, I'm bringing in donuts for everyone. I'm a good, I'm nice and good person. Actually. I mean, you are a good person. (laughs) That sounds, I'm not about to, about to slay the fuck out of you right now, but you are a good person, but You're a bad person too because you're fucking poisoning your employees. Like you're poisoning your coworkers. Here, have this donut feel worse. Because that's usually what's going to happen is people are going to feel worse and their energy is going to plummet after eating a donut. Why? Because your body doesn't want to process all that bullshit. It just wants regular, old, home, school, from the ground food. And when you give it this crazy processed piece of something, it doesn't know how to interpret it and therefore requires more energy to process it. And... Where does that energy come from? You. Comes from you. So it's actually more exhausting to have a donut than it is to have some broccoli. Isn't that funny? I think that's funny. Super funny. But anyway, let me give you some peace of mind um, on some advice I would give to you if you're trying to get your diet right and you want to feel better. That's It's got to be your goal to feel better. This isn't about making you look better. It will make you look better. But I'm that's not the thing that's going to drive you to to stay to it. You have to want to feel better. You have to want to value a mind that isn't turning in on itself all the time, a mind that isn't ripping itself apart, a mind that isn't dissatisfied with life on a daily basis. There's always something in life to be satisfied about, and it's up to you to find it and choose it. But here's my advice. Eat whole foods. Eat all the whole foods you can. Try to eat only whole foods if you can. Only whole foods. Second piece of advice. 
cook for yourself. That's a big, that's a big step. I'm not going to say that like it's some easy thing to do. Like, yeah, just cook for yourself. It'll be fine. If you have been living on the convenience train for a long time and you haven't cooked for yourself in a long time, there may be this thought like, I don't know how to cook. How could I do that? There's no way I could do that piece of advice. That's impossible. It's not impossible, baby girl. It's not impossible. I promise. It's not impossible. Cooking is easy. It really is. Get the food, cut up the food, put it in water, put it over heat. That's it. That's all you got to do. You can boil literally everything. Pour some salt on it. It's good. And some butter, maybe. That's all you got to do. You can get fancier if you want to fry things on the frying pan or if you want to bake stuff. That's a little fancier, but you can literally boil all the whole foods and still have a good time eating them. And then the third piece of advice I have is to get off caffeine, especially if you're a woman. I don't know what it is, but for me personally, when I drink caffeine, I fuck everything else up, everything else. Like I just have this rushed, panicked feeling. I need to eat something. I need to look forward to sugar later in the day. Like I just, uh, I can't, it just puts me in a place where I can't eat well. And I used to think, oh, well, coffee's like a, an appetite suppressant and it makes you burn more calories faster because it's speeding your system, or whatever. Sure, yeah, that's all good and gravy, but it's only, it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it, one, it's terrible to skip a meal because that screws with your metabolism quite a bit. And then you're, you're malnourished. Coffee actually spikes your blood sugar. So you have a, in, like a spike in your blood sugar, which then spikes your insulin a little bit. So it's just get off coffee. Just get off of it. Tea is fine. Just get off the coffee. It's not good for you. It's too strong. It's going to fuck you up if you're a lady. That could be some hard stuff to take though. Right there. That could be really hard for you. If, if anything at all, try to just eat whole foods. That's it. Basic, plain old foods. I've realized something else too with relationships to food and convenience and our society and all this stuff we're talking about. We've been trained to want novelty when it comes to food. Like, oh, I had chicken yesterday. I can't have chicken again today. <laughs> like, says who? Says who? I'm confused. Like, when did chicken become like, I can only have it one time a week? You know, like that. Or just, you know, people being hyper picky about their foods and stuff. That's something I, I've really appreciated in trying to adopt a whole food diet is that it's so basic. Like... It is so basic that sometimes you get bored and you're like, I think I'm going to try the coffee today. I think I'm going to try it again. See what happens. And then you're like, fuck, why did I do that? Oh my God, too much energy. I'm dying. I think I'm dying. No, I'm not dying. Uh, you know, basic is where it's at. Basic is what everything great is built on is something basic. Whole foods. They're basic. Try it. Just try whole foods. People are on this whole 30 trend, you know, like I'm doing the whole 30. How about just whole? Fuck the 30. Just do whole as often as you can. Whole 100. I'm going to start calling it that. Whole 100. Whole foods comes from the ground. It had roots at some point. It had roots. It had eyes. Or it came from a seed and it's like an oil. That's it. That's all you got to do. Google whole foods and you'll get a whole entire list. The world is abundant in the food that it makes. And you will be fine on just Whole Foods. I promise. And you'll be more than fine. You'll feel amazing. Most likely. And you'll shed a bunch of weight. And you'll just, gosh. You'll be a whole new person. 
a whole new person. <laughs> no pun intended. Okay, people, I got to go back to work. Lunchtime's over. Thank you for listening. I hope this podcast wasn't too um, aggressive or whatever. But I hope it gets you thinking about your relationship to food and the different patterns you do with you have with food and that gosh there's so much to talk about about food it's like ridiculous there's when do you eat how do you eat what do you eat where do you eat so many questions we'll get into more of those questions later but just some things to think about keep it whole keep it 100 until the next time i say good day <laughs>